if the bunker isn't ready, if the facility isn't ready, the customer says, oh, darn, you know, uh, I'm going to need another three months, six months, just, you know, hold the order for me. And Varian is getting in more orders and may have shortages for some other customers where something didn't get delivered on time. And now there's a whole process of cannibalization that takes place, deallocating and even disassembling some parts of equipment that was ready to go. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Committed inventory and allocation are perhaps the most complex processes to master in the ERP world, but they are critical after a certain point in your growth. If you don't have committed inventory processes figured out, you might not be able to reserve for key customers. Every department may create ad hoc arrangements to preserve its inventory, and that might result in inventory accuracy issues. But for the committed inventory processes to work, you must have your inventory in order. So where do you start in your journey of committed inventory and how to get it right? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss committed inventory and allocation best practices. We discussed why commitment is important for inventory and how the commitment might vary in different industries where the inventory may be allocated at the lot or style level. Finally, we discussed complex inventory allocation processes such as available to promise reallocation and disassembly after allocation. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation, and we um, always have an expert panel that is going to share their uh, insights and wisdom. For today, we have a very interesting and complex topic. It's called committed inventory. It's very, very, very hard to get it right. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm and committed inventory is probably going to be the first thing that customer come to us because they cannot figure this out. So on that note, I am going to move to Dave Griffith for his intro. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Sam. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Dave Griffith. I run a company called Kaplan Solutions. 
I like to say that we focus on sensible digital transformation. So that is where operational excellence kind of connects with technology. And it is very much uh, where the rubber meets the road when we talk about many of these things. So we, we do lots of work on inventory. Um, I have a few thoughts, on, more than a few thoughts on inventory. So I'm excited to, uh, to get into it. Thank you. Sir. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. And we are going to run into Dave and Dave problem back to back, I guess. You know, last week we had and, and today as well. Okay, on that note, uh, Abu, would you like to introduce yourself next? Sure, thanks, uh, Sam. My name is Abu. Uh, glad to be here on the panel again. Um, so we are Sage X3 partner. We help trans digitally transform companies in distribution, industrial manufacturing, food and beverage, and chemical sector. Been doing that for the last 15 years. You know, and inventory management is a key topic for most distribution and manufacturing. So glad to be here and share some. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Abu. Dave uh, Chrysler, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Yeah, thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting business working with manufacturing leaders on helping them create systems to achieve operational excellence. And uh, excited to be here with everybody and chat about inventory. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys post your questions and comments. We typically cover them during the show. If we cannot get to them, then our panelists are going to make sure that you receive answer. On that note, I am going to start with the first question. And the first question is going to be for Dave Griffith. And just overall setting up the stage about what committed inventory really is. Commitment could mean a lot of different things across the when we look at commitment and commit committed inventory also when you have multiple systems processes it could be a lot of fun so do you want to just set the stage uh Dave Griffith yeah absolutely Sam so I spent a not insignificant amount of time thinking about just this question as, as we were running up to the show so I think that I will give the perspective uh from the the facility itself uh I know that there are a bunch of ERP people here um, as I didn't mention, I am not an ERP person, right? So I'm typically not the ERP person uh, on these uh, WBS Rocks shows. So on the committed inventory side, I think of committed inventory as we have inventory, it comes into a, a warehouse, right? And then at some point, it gets committed to an order as to if it's one of many items that are going to get shipped out or if it's one of many items that are going to come in and we're going to run it through a process, and then it's going to create an end product and run it out. So when I talk about committed inventory, it's very much, you know, it owns and it belongs to a particular order. As to if I've seen kind of committed inventory and allocated inventory go a couple of ways, right? So I've seen things get ordered for a specific, specific order and then they get committed uh, within a system. I've also seen, you know, items physically being pulled off of shelves and set uh, with orders. And uh, I guess kind of my last first comment on committed inventory, Sam, is there are many, many ways to commit inventory. Uh, the only wrong way for committed or allocated inventory is to not commit or allocate inventory. And, and, and if I may, uh, a, a story to kind of uh, to kind of continue on. So the, the story does come to uh, does come to me secondhand. But I, I was working with a group. Um, this group was going and working, and it, it there is a process that you know a lot of raw materials run through. And so at one point, uh, one of the gentlemen walks over and talks to a person sitting at a desk with a big stack of papers and, and asks what she's doing. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm going through to see if we have everything for the order. And so she went through every order manually to go check the inventory levels. 
and it was all on paper. And Sam, the next day, she did exactly the same thing. And she started all the way from the very beginning. And in fact, we had been doing it for 27 years uh, that way of very much not committing anything. Th that is the, the biggest uh, example of non-commitment of probably anything I have ever seen in my entire life. But uh, so kind of long story short, there, there are computers that only can make this, uh, this process easier. And at some point, an eight or a 10 hour day went down to about 45 seconds of pressing a button and seeing what orders we could run and, and learning that we can commit inventory. Okay, amazing insights there. And there is a reason why I started with the non-ERP guy, because you know you are going to be the user and you are going to have the real problems that are going to be caused by non-committed inventory. Now, to your point about everybody should be doing committed inventory, I think that's what I heard in your commentary. Uh, but in my experience, I don't think 90% of the businesses have figured out or can figure out uh, you know, how to do the committed inventory because it's going to be really, really hard. Number one, that number one, what is going to be required for committed inventory to work is it's going to be the inventory alignment in all of the system. Okay. And if anything is going to be off with your data, your inventory is probably going to be off across the system. And if you cannot get it right, then obviously your committed inventory processes are not going to be right as well. Now to your paper story, committed inventory also have one of the, the most fun stories that I have personally seen. So in your case, they were keeping the paper. In my case, this was a paper business, in which case the person was actually storing paper right by them. And I was like, okay, why are you storing these papers? <laughs> and they were like, okay, I'm trying to reserve for my customer. The customer is going to fire us if we don't have that. So committed inventory stories are always going to be fun. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Abu, I'm actually going to move to you. I don't know uh, if you have any sort of stories that you might be able to share related to committed uh, inventory, uh, and maybe if you have anything to add based on what Dave said uh, on the process. I mean, so what Dave, you know, said was a you know great example of committed inventory. You know, I'll just expand a little bit more on it. So you have two levels of inventory commitment. One is a high level. You know, you have 10,000 kilograms of chemical in it. And then you can have, and you can go to the next level saying this particular lot is committed uh, to a particular order, right? So that will be a detailed level of inventory commitment. Uh, the other thing is, you know, Dave talked about from the sales perspective, uh, you know, you can commit inventory that this is for sales perspective, but if you're a manufacturing organization, you can commit inventory on the raw material side as well, saying this is where on which manufacturing work order that will go to, or, you know, or you get from a project based industry, this is a particular raw material for a particular end product for a particular uh, end customer you know commit inventory commitment is always extremely hard um, you know you can plan a lot you can commit inventory um, you know one of my best stories is we were in a chemical plant they did all this detailed work uh, you know allocating inventory to various orders for manufacturing but you know on the shop floor when the guy is going to pick up a chemical drum he just picks up the drum in front of him right he never goes and for the right lot number or anything like that, right? So that's where most of it goes out because just finding the right, you know, when you get to that detail allocation, uh, you know, finding the right lot number can be a lot of hard work. So that's where a lot of those, you know, screw-ups happen in the allocation. So. Okay, amazing insight there and could not agree more. I think you definitely brought a very interesting layer there about the lot level control and that's going to be a different ballgame altogether when you are looking at commitment of the inventory. By the way, I'm going to add one more layer there. 
So here, let's say if you are simply going to be lot controlled, then it's still easier. But if you are in business such as your apparel business or the style business, then you are looking at at least five or six different variables and each of them could drive the commitment process. For example, your fabrication, style, color, size. And you know when you are committing the inventory, if I am going to be committing, let's say the the XXL for uh, Dave Griffith, who's super lean and slim, you know he's probably not going to be very happy about it. So that's why the, the commitment of inventory becomes really fun when you are dealing with these. So on that note, before I move to Dave Kaiser, I am going to give an opportunity for Tom to introduce first, and then I'll come back to Tom. Tom, do you want to introduce first? Yeah, I'll introduce myself and I'll apologize. Nope. So this is a, a, a second time it's happened to me where I had some trouble logging in. So apologies to everyone for disrupting things. I'm Tom Rodden. I am a former CIO of Varian Medical Systems, so in the life science industry for many years, uh, now serving as an ERP consultant and uh, really happy to be here and talk about uh, today's topic. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Tom. So Dave, I am actually coming to you. So I don't know if you are uh, going to have any sort of context that you might be able to add with respect to commitment. You can share your story or address this question that the user is asking. If you want, I can read it. Or if you want yourself, I mean, you can read it as well so that listeners know what we are talking about. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Uh, now, first, I'll kind of just uh, tie a couple of things together uh, from my standpoint, kind of, uh, uh, you know, touching on what Dave and uh, Abud said. But... I think the biggest challenge that I've seen consistently when it comes to inventory commitments is the fact that when you don't have a, a good handle on the process of sales, order, sales orders and work orders, they end up hanging out there, which obviously is going to impact that committed inventory amount. And it just continues to, you know, rear its ugly head. I mean, when we're talking about trying to do forecasting, when we're trying to do, uh, you know, anything else that really touches the supply chain side, especially on the raw material side of things, uh, it, it just ends up getting really ugly. And back to what Dave said, you know, people are are then going out and physically checking these things and they're doing it on a daily, sometimes multiple times per day because, you know, well, we can't trust the system. Well, why can't we trust the system? <laughs> because, you know, we haven't gone through and made sure that there is process alignment in the system. You know, it's it's not the technology's fault that, you know, people aren't executing the process and we don't have a, a great handle on it. So I wanted to, you know, at, at least talk about that. And, and it really brings your point in about the multiple systems and the inventory alignment across those. So if we're talking about ERP and e-commerce, let's say, and, and where does that source of truth lie? And then how, you know, not only does that inventory get committed, how does it then get tied back into the other systems where, again, that source of truth, uh, you know, comes into play. So that that is why this is such a challenge for something that on the surface seems relatively simple right when you when you look at well what's it committed inventory i mean you know the 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 classic definition is relatively simple but this is the, the those are the things that make this uh all that more challenging and in terms of the question let me just read it uh so we've got a question how do we reserve inventory against the customers in the warehouse this is also a big issue so I don't know, my takeaway, and I'd love to hear if anybody else has any input on this, but my takeaway is maybe to what we were just talking about with multiple systems, 
uh, potentially having some source of truth issues here. Because again, if we're talking about a single system and being able to, you know, reserve that inventory, commit that inventory, it's going to happen at either the sales order level, it's going to happen at the work order level, depending on what those processes look like, how those orders are flowing in. Uh, and again, if we're talking multiple systems, if that's happening on the e-commerce side, that's obviously going to impact it. So where does that inventory live? Uh, so source of truth, where does that inventory get committed? So how do those sales orders come in? How do those, you know, if it's a, a, a made to order or something, how do those work orders tie into that? Uh, but I'd love to open it up if anybody has that. That's kind of my interpretation of of what uh, Suresh is asking. But, you know, happy to to clarify if there's some more details added. in. OK, so amazing insights there. By the way, I really like the layer that you have added related to the sales order and work order. I think the, the problems are going to be there as well, depending upon how your processes are going to set up. And I also want to touch on the question a little bit. So here, and by the way, Missy, I would love to hear insights from Tan as well, because he has a lot of background uh, you know, from the SAP perspective. So since we are moving next to Tom, obviously we are going to be talking about that. But before we do that, so one of the reasons why, in my experience, this is going to be a big issue when I compare ERP system one to two, uh, the ERP systems that are going to be designed for more of the retail and vision, they are slightly better in doing the processes that are going to be at the warehouse. Okay, the manufacturing systems in general, they are not as good when you look at things like you know price and, and discount at the warehouse level. When you talk about replenishment strategies at the warehouse level, when you talk about that warehouse and and and, and skew correlation, typically they are not as good. But if you look at the distribution ERP system and the the majority of the uh, mainstream ERP system, when we talk about SAP, Microsoft, uh, you know they are going to be slightly more distribution centric. So they are probably going to have a lot more functionality. Uh, in reserving this. So it should not be as much of an issue. But again, depending upon how the implementation is done. So now I am actually coming uh, to Tom. And Tom, you know, you have three things that you can cover. Number one is going to be whatever has been spoken. Uh, if you have any sort of contact that you would like to add, that's number one. Number two, story or this question. Uh, well, thanks. Sam. Um, <clears throat> so I come at this whole topic um, as the end result allocation and commitment is the end result of yeah. an inventory optimization strategy. And an inventory optimization is even a bit of a misnomer yeah. in that it's really a business optimization strategy. You're trying to balance fulfilling orders or fulfilling work orders or fulfilling production orders, whatever, you know, however you define the customer and the objective here um, <clears throat> to the maximum extent possible. Um, taking into account the cost of inventory, uh, and that might be the cost of procuring the materials, of course, but also the cost of storing them. Um, you know, you could have a ton of inventory, um, even if it's cheap, if it takes up a lot of space, you're going to be paying for warehouse space. Um, you have, of course, money in the inventory. It's essentially dead money waiting to be used um, sold. And it is a, an opportunity cost, if you will. If your, your money's sitting in inventory, you know, you, you can't use it in some other way. So, um, and there's, there's kind of a holding cost or, or an interest uh, effectively that you're paying on that if you've borrowed it, whether it's, you know, actual debt or the cost of capital from a finance sense. You know, but there's a cost to having a lot of money tied up in inventory. So, so I, I come at it saying every business needs to come up with its own 
optimization algorithm, if you will. And I don't mean to talk jargon or, or complex words. It's not that complicated. You know, you have to come up with your policy. You know, if you're in a business that is uh, extremely competitive, uh, brand is everything. Um, customer loyalty is constantly at risk. You probably need to hold a lot of inventory because if you start missing orders, you're going to lose those customers. And the cost of losing those customers is likely to be more uh, damaging to you financially and to the business operationally in the long run than holding some additional inventory and having some excess. Uh, on the other hand, if you're in a very stable business, you know, I worked for GE for many years. I was in one, one uh, phase of my career in the lighting part of the business. Light bulbs is a pretty stable business. It grows with GDP. It grows with the housing market. You know, you need, don't need more light bulbs than you have outlets to put them in, right? So the stability of that led to a really, really intense focus on minimizing inventory. Anything more than absolutely necessary when you had a pretty stable stream of demand was waste. And so that was, you know, and you could do a pretty good job forecasting, which in many business businesses and industries you can't, um, and so on. So, so, you know, the models and the businesses are so different at times that it drives a different policy about how much inventory do you want to hold? Are you really trying to minimize cost? Are you really trying to optimize the fulfillment of orders? And, and striking the right balance for your business then defines how you should be executing an allocation or a commitment strategy, in my opinion. Um, so again, we can talk about ERP systems and, and how they have different algorithms to do that. But to me, it starts all the way up there with, you know, what's the nature of your business and your strategy and what are you trying to optimize? Um, if you've got a pretty good handle on that, then I think you, you can begin to play with things like SAP's ATP functionality, right? Where you could set it up so that it's pretty generic and it's just first come, first serve, where it comes in, inventory gets committed. You could set it up so that um, it's got a customer prioritization. I have my Walmarts, I have my uh, major customers whom I do not want to miss a single order for. I'll, I'll, I'll hurt maybe in terms of missing orders, some of the smaller guys, but I won't lose my big, big, high, high value customers. And so I'll prioritize the ATP to run giving allocated allocations to those customers first, uh, even if their orders came in after some others, they're further back in the queue so week, right? So there are ways to, to manage the, the tools and, and configure the tools to get the results that you want in, in many cases. So that, that's kind of, for me, the first aspect of all this. And, um, in, in terms of, uh, of stories, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, I, I, I come for the last 15 years out of the healthcare industry. I, I'm in not, a, not an apparel uh, and retail type of business, right? I'm in a, a, a large capital equipment business, big machines, 5,000 plus parts, uh, very complex, uh, pretty much make to order. And people tend to think of this question about allocation and commitment in a little more of a make to stock sense, traditionally or commonly. Um, but in a make-to-order business, this is this is potentially a big issue as well. Sometimes maybe even a bigger issue. Um, when when Varian would have customers, uh, hospitals and clinics place orders, and maybe it's a two-year lead time on this piece of equipment. You know, it's designed custom for them. It's built for them. The the product is procured specifically for them. 
Uh, and there are common parts, but you know, it was specifically procured for them. Um, and the, in that window, the hospital is building a new facility. They are going to be able to put these new pieces of equipment, uh, radiation therapy equipment that Mary would manufacture into these cells, these bunkers, uh, which would shield the rest of the, the world from the radiation the machines would generate because that's what's used to treat the cancer and only the patient should be subject to that. Um, but uh, if the bunker isn't ready, if the facility isn't ready, the customer says, oh, darn, you know, uh, I'm going to need another three months, six months, uh, just, you know, hold the order for me. You know, and, and Varian is getting in more orders and may have shortages for some other customers where something didn't get delivered on time. And now there's a whole process of cannibalization that takes place, deallocating and even disassembling some parts of equipment that was ready to go in order to fulfill another order, another machine to complete it that a customer is willing to take right away. So you can imagine you know, the complexity of that. The production order was complete. The machine is sitting ready, waiting to go. Now we're going to start to take it apart and put those materials back into inventory to serve you know, the production order for another customer. And, and you, know, you have to create a new uh, partial production order now to fulfill or complete the order eventually for the customer who delayed receipt of the equipment. So, I mean, these are, these are incredibly complex and messy deallocation, reallocation scenarios that um, some businesses in, in the make-to-order world have to deal with. Yeah, love the details, love the story. And before I move to Dave Griffith, Tom, do you want to clarify what uh, SAP ATP is? If the listeners might not be oh, uh, familiar sorry. with that. And, yeah, and... yeah um, so uh, in, in, a, in, in the simplest terms, ATP is available to promise. Um, so it is essentially the um, algorithm in, in SAP that is used to commit inventory. Um, so uh, there is a certain amount of a certain product available in stock, 100 pieces, and orders come in 20, 20 units, 20 units, 20 units, five orders, and all that inventory is now consumed. A sixth order comes in for 20 units, and there's nothing left available to promise. So ATP then says, okay, I will look out beyond available inventory. Uh, what's available to promise after inventory? Well, maybe it's a production order that's scheduled. And I see that's scheduled to be complete on you know, a week from now. And therefore, I'll, I'll say for the first five orders that came in for 20, they're available immediately today, tomorrow, you know, and maybe we add a couple of days for shipping. So we promised the customer two, three days from now. For the customer, the sixth customer who came in, nothing is available in inventory to promise, but there's something available in production that's a week away, and then maybe add your shipping lead time, and so call it 10 days, uh, and that customer will get a acknowledgement or a promise back of 10 days. So the available to promise algorithm takes into account available inventory, production, maybe, maybe you're actually procuring this from a third party. You don't build it, you buy it. Right. So you have purchase orders out there. So it'll take into account the purchase orders, et cetera. Um, so it's looking at all of these things. And then, of course, as I said, you could make it simple. OK, first come, first serve. Uh, or you could create greater complexity, prioritizing customers, prioritizing uh, regions of the world um, and so forth. And, and of course, you know, you can create lots more complexity with multiple stocking points 
and hierarchical level of warehouses, you know, where you've got a central warehouse, maybe it ships uh, slow moving goods that you keep stored centrally and you have the fast movers in many locations. Uh, you know, you can create all kinds of uh, logistical complexity that that will make this ATP algorithm uh, a little more challenging. But um, but that's available to promise is the basic concept. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tom, for that. Uh, so, Dave Griffith, I'm actually coming to you, and you have three options that you can choose. Uh, and <laughs> number one is going to be comments over comments. Uh, number two is going to be story. And if you have any insights over this question that we have, I think it's a very important and relevant question for the topic. Dave Griffith. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I would like to uh, I would like to start with kind of Suresh's uh, question that we have down here because I think it is very important. Um, and I think it kind of goes down to the, the it kind of goes down to the conversation that we've been having as to you know is it is it is it inventory specific for a customer is it inventory specific for an order how fast moving is the inventory how kind of how important is the inventory as, as Abu kind of made the point earlier it very much becomes everything is good and then you get on the plant floor and then you don't really know what's going to happen no matter what you wrote down into your work order, right? And I feel like I can make that joke because I've probably made that mistake and, and done all of the sins that anyone could possibly do on, on the plant floor myself. And so I've seen a number of ways to do it depending upon how soon you're going to move and depending upon uh, how important it is for the customer. I, I, everything from what I would not suggest is the, the salesperson or someone going and physically removing it from stock in the warehouse in order to go put it on their desk to make sure that their customer can have it. I've seen special bins and special like allocation locations as to what we're moving it out of one particular area so that we, uh, we can make sure that this customer is pulled specifically from this location. Um, there are a number of different ways in order to make sure that you reserve the inventory. I would, kind of back to one of my original points and, and very much to Tom's point is pick a direction in which you want to go and make sure that you are going to continue down that direction. Um, and, and I will say uh, to, to Dave's earlier point that if you're trying to put very specific information on a very tiny little work order, additional special instructions within within some sort of pick ticket, um, absolutely do not expect them to because uh, unless it is glaring at you in red and flashing colors, if it is not something that uh, that normally gets read, don't expect that it's going to get read for your one in a thousand. Uh, excuse me. Don't don't expect that it's going to get read in, in your one for a thousand. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Item that, that you're looking to uh, to ship to uh, to the customer. Um, and and I, I would like to, to thank Tom uh, for his his story about ripping apart perfectly good machines and then deallocating it and reallocating it. And Tom, I'm happy that you're here because that is the last thing in the world that, that I would possibly want to do. I, I feel like every production manager is, is weeping right now, thinking of the last time that they had a perfectly running facility or perfectly running machine. And they, they just want to look and be like, can't we ship it or, or can't we charge them to, to hold this floor space as opposed to ripping apart my perfectly good machine that that, that is a, a worst case scenario but but something that sadly happens all the time yeah uh, it's nuts but it it happens yeah it it does if, if people want to pay for equipment in fact they, they may be charging them for floor space and also ripping apart the machine because they don't need it for another but uh but that is a story uh for an absolutely other time um and then i, I would like to get back to the point that abu had made earlier about 
kind of everything is good up until the point that you get to the production floor um, and then kind of all heck can break loose. I think it's very dependent upon what industry you're in. So some industries are very particular for lots. So a lot of pharmaceuticals, a lot of aviation and aerospace, uh, very much automotive. Like you, you have to go and track everything that you are currently running uh, very specifically for the for, for the you know for the vehicle for the uh, for the pharmaceutical grade in and of themselves. And I would say that is where I have personally found, or at least I hope people have much more strict systems. I see a lot of barcode scanning, kind of other things in and out. In a number of other, um, in another, uh, in a number of other systems uh, or facilities, I see people kind of just ripping and pulling whatever is the closest, and that is what I find can absolutely cause and wreak havoc to inventory. And you think you know what you have, and then pretty soon our our production folks or our procurement folks are cycle counting four or five times every day because they don't trust the system. Uh, so, so to the point of trusting the system. I think before you can go and make a choice on what you want to allocate uh, to inventory or until you can have an inventory allocation system, you need to have a system that everyone trusts, at least to the extent that anyone can trust uh, software. So, um, I'll go ahead and leave it there and let everyone else uh, jump in. So, Dave, I am going to have a little comment there. So let's say if you are working in the same warehouse and I have kept this big, bold sticker with the note that, Dave, this is the committed inventory for me. Are you not going to respect that? Is it not committed? Are you going to tell me that it's not going to be committed? <laughs> Sam. Sam, the things that I have seen are, one, almost certainly not appropriate for th this PG-13 rated show that we're doing. And and I, I doubt, well, maybe a bunch of people on here would believe, but a, a bunch of your listeners like would not believe. If, if it can go wrong, I've seen it go wrong. Uh, I, and as I said in the beginning, I, I, will, I will make that comment because I, in various parts and various pieces of my career, have probably caused many of these mistakes to happen. So... As as we go and look at that, we need it as foolproof as, as possible, and then we need to make it 10 times better, because if you think there's no way anyone could make that mistake, you're probably sitting in a nice carpeted air-conditioned location and not thinking about the person sweating in the unair-conditioned warehouse uh, trying to just ship the order to be able to, to move forward. Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Abu, I'm actually coming to you, and you have the same options. Uh, comment over comments. Uh, any sort of story and uh, the question, if you might have any sort of. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, on my earlier example and, you know, even in control industries, right, where you have to track lots, you know, a big problem comes in, you know, you have allocated to a work order sales order. You have a lot which is easy to pick. You pick it up, you deallocate the original sales order, and then you agree up and then you use the new one, right? So that's the biggest problem. And, you know, when, when you're producing, especially in a higher, uh, you know, high cycle manufacturing, like plant, like chemical food manufacturing, you have a big order from Walmart coming, there's a big rush to produce all of that and pick all of the raw materials. So it's very hard to enforce, uh, at least in mid-sized companies, that you ask your uh, picker to go in and, you know, remove the first, you know, like say 10 sacks of nuts and then go pick the sack at the end. Uh, to, to make, for example, peanut butter jam, right? So that's the biggest problem uh, that comes up. In the food industry, for example, you want to use first expired, first out systems, right? Food gets expired, you don't want food ending up bad, you know, sitting at the back. 
But even then it becomes hard, uh, you know, unless you have a supervisor or a management team that is really focusing on it, crushing down on those things, it becomes hard to, you know, enforce that discipline uh, in mid-sized um, industries, at least uh, from my perspective. So it's always, you know, extremely hard, you know, these things, you, you design the best systems and then, you know, another customer comes in, which is suddenly become the strategic customer, where you have to fulfill that order, right? All of you are planning and your rules and your mechanisms uh, go away, right? I've even seen in, you know, three, four hundred million dollar firm where business is based on a lot of relationships where the its owner control, for example, and the other strategic buyer, the large buyer, which is also owner controlled. And one owner calls the other owner and they want their order delivered first, right? So all the rules go out of the window. <laughs> so fairly large organizations, but, you know, then all that commitment and become hard to manage, right? It's hard to say no to the owner or no to your street. So it's an interesting topic, lots of complexities, uh, lots of unknown complexities also depending on yeah, in my experience as well, I have never had been able to find answers for any sort of politics. And in this particular case as well, I just yeah. will not have any answer. Uh, Abu, uh, in this particular case, I mean, I don't know if you're going to have any sort of insights uh, with this comment that Snaya is making, configuring the setup in the ERP system is the real challenge. Do you agree with this statement? Do you think it's going to be a challenge? It's not going to be a challenge. I mean, it depends on the system and the complexity uh, of how you can configure it. Um, you know, I think configuring is the easier part. It's now once you've configured it and the system allocates something, now you have to figure out why did it allocate this? That's the harder part, right? Then you have to go down and backtrack all those scenarios that are happening in, you know, in a past history, right? So you, so you allocated product three days ago, but now you want to figure out why did it allocate this product? You know, it doesn't make any sense. Now you're trying to reconstruct those rules from three days ago, all the inventory positions. That's the harder part, uh, you know, uh, for most front-end users rather than the actual. Yeah, uh, but again, depend on every ERP system. I'm not sure which ERP system she is using, but, you know, they can be complex to relatively easy. To not agree more. And Sneha, if you have any other details there that you might be able to provide, either related to the ERP system or what specific challenges that you have faced, we would be more than happy to answer those questions to you. So now, Dave, I am coming to you. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you're going to have any sort of insights on uh, this question or any other questions. You know, you have covered already covered one question. And this is, uh, you know, this is a very interesting question right here. I, I think uh, Sneha really nailed it right on the head uh, with this. And it ties everything together that we're talking about. I mean, Abu just had some really great examples of this, too. Right. You can have the best, you know, kind of best documented processes. You can you can have the system, you know, fine tuned in terms of the configuration. But there's not going to be a lot that you're going to be able to do from a systemization standpoint to impact the politics of people, yeah. uh, whether that's, you know, two owners kind of duking it out, whether that is two sales reps or customer service or two warehouse people that want to put a big gold sticker and shining lights and caution tape all over what they, you know, deem uh, allocated in the warehouse. I mean, those are all real world challenges. Uh, and, and kind of back to what Tom was saying, too, when it when it comes to, you know, having to dismantle things and have to, uh, you know, unallocate and reallocate and the complexity behind that. Uh, it's an interesting takeaway because, again, it just adds to the layered complexity where uh, back to the point I was trying to make earlier, when you look at what's committed inventory and you answer that question, 
on the surface level seems very simple, very straightforward, but there are so many layers uh, to peel back and understanding what do you need the information for? What are you going to do with it? How does it impact the rest of your operation and, and business systems? That to me, I, and I think Tom maybe kind of touched on that with, you know, understanding what your algorithm needs to be. Uh, to me, that's, you know, kind of just another way to say it. Like what, what, what do we need to do with the information? How is it going to help us from a, a business case standpoint? And, you know, making sure then that the processes and that the technology is aligned with that goal so you can actually do something with it. Um, you know, one other thing I'll throw out there when I mentioned the, the open work orders, open sales orders, you know, I didn't talk about open purchase orders, partial completions, right? All of these things touch this process. So again, I go back to, what do we need to do with the information? What are we trying to, you know, to glean, to gain? How is it going to impact future decisions? And, you know, once you can understand that and put that into the context of what you see from, you know, kind of what is the system telling you, then I think you can start to, to unpack some of these and, and maybe make it a little bit more tangible for most people. Uh, I, I think there's obviously varying levels of complexity to, to Abu's point, to Tom's point dependent on the specific vertical that we're talking about. So, uh, you know, the majority of manufacturers that I've worked with have not been nearly that complex, but I've seen pieces of that play themselves out, uh, even in, in kind of the more simplified, uh, you know, uh, discrete manufacturing uh, businesses that I've, I've, I've been involved with in, in my past. Yeah, amazing uh, insights there. Uh, so I have one more question for uh, Tom. Uh, Tom, I don't know if you would like to uh, cover this, so I'm actually going to read it for you. And probably we are going to go uh, with everyone with their opinion, if they are going to have any sort of insights on this question or the other question. So here, Sneha saying, I'm very interested in the panel's thoughts on complications they have seen handling reserving inventory that involves sending order for outside processing. And I completely agree. Anything that is going to be related to either 3PL or outside processing, the commitment is going to be extremely tricky to work with. So, Tom, any insights there? Yeah, I saw that question come up. And hi, Sneha. I haven't, haven't seen or talked to you for a while, but uh, glad to see you're, you're out there and see your question. Um, the, uh, the first thing that occurred to me as I read it was, <clears throat> is this uh, third party uh, providing this manufacturing or assembly service, are they responsible for the procurement of all the materials themselves? In which case, there's not a great deal of uh, additional complexity, just they need to be clear to you on what their forecast is of completing that production order or work order um, and being able to either return the product to you or to, in effect, drop ship it directly to the customer. Um, so that that question of who's providing the materials that go into this this work order or production order, therein lies some complexity. Um, if you, uh, the manufacturer or the, the owner of, I guess, the end customer relationship, uh, if your company is the one procuring materials and providing them to a third party manufacturer who is then performing this service and then perhaps drop shipping. I mean, there's a whole lot of additional complexity there, right? Uh, your own timetables, your own system of that, that has uh, dates for all those different materials, 
And, you know, are you going to ship all of that complete or could you ship it as available? Would you even have the vendors that you're procuring from drop ship to your 3PL um, and then bill you for the materials that you are buying on behalf of your 3PL? Then are they assembling that, working that production order, ultimately delivering directly to the customer? I mean, there could be multiple layers of complexity that introduce a lot of um, allocation questions and, and challenges um, in terms of both what's your commitment to the end customer in that in that in that process I just outlined that that um, that, that double drop ship um, and and you providing materials to your 3PL scenario. Um, so there there would be um, quite a challenge. Uh, involved and probably some very close collaboration required with your 3PL. Um, uh, and perhaps you'd even want them to be using your system, if you could, to help reduce the amount of uh, potential for miscommunication or confusion. Um, if you could treat that 3PL more like a plant that's part of your business network um, and you're procuring materials that are shipped to that plant, and then they are providing a service that is in some sense a work order that's in your ERP, uh, and then they are delivering to the end customer, you would have visibility to the complete supply chain and be able to come up with a promise date or a commit date to your customer and be able to allocate and make some of the, the critical decisions that I was describing there. Um, but just, just that little example has, loads of complexity. And I'm sure there's many other things my colleagues here could call out and say, yeah, it's worse than you think, Tom. It's worse than you've said, um, that scenario. But uh, yeah, there's there's great challenges there depending on your business process. Okay, amazing insights there. So we are going to open up the floor a little bit so you guys can comment where, whenever you like on whichever uh, you know questions as you like. So we have the question from the user and this is the real problem, which is going to be reserving inventory uh, when it is going to be in transit. I don't know if anybody is going to have any insights. Any Anyone want to take this? I, I can. Okay. I want to try to field this one, Sam. Um, and, and I'm not positive I, have, I fully understand because uh, if this relates to what Sneha was saying in terms of a, a sub-assembly going out, you know, we had a, a situation in a, a facility that um, – that I was in and it wasn't so much on a sub assembly uh, standpoint, more on the raw material side, but we had a situation where uh, we were uh, sending some raw material out to be processed before it came back to be continued to be processed uh, before being sent to the, to the customer. And what we ended up having to do because it was really getting confusing. Uh, this happened to be a raw material that was one of the, the, the larger movers of the facility. And so it was creating an issue where, you know, we weren't sure what did we actually have on, on hand as compared to what was allocated and, you know, work in process for this particular group of orders. And this was an ongoing situation uh, for about uh, about a three or four month period of time. So it was kind of creating a real issue. What we ended up doing to kind of solve it was uh, beyond the allocation, we were actually just consuming the material uh, on the front end of it 
to try to clear up the allocated and to to true up physical inventory or, or perpetual inventory rather uh, to make sure that we had a clear picture of what physical uh, inventory had left. So, you know, I'm not sure if in Sneha's scenario in particular, if something like that can be looked at uh, kind of back to what Tom said about being able to, you know, have full visibility on the supply chain. It depends on how involved your look into, uh, you know, that, that, uh, sub assembly, that, th that 3PL, um, how involved you need to, to look into their supply chain. And then, uh, my other point to what Suresh is asking, if it's on the incoming side of things, it becomes much easier because you can utilize a tool like, uh, again, Tom had pointed out with the ATP, um, where it's looking beyond what is already, you know, in inventory, so to speak, to say, do we have anything in transit coming in that can be allocated uh, in the sales order slash work order, you know, creation process? So that that's kind of my takeaway on on those two particular things. Uh, happy to, to hear from anybody else, though. I was going to say, I, I'd like to jump in uh, for, for just a minute to kind of add to uh, to what Dave was saying. I think all of these are, are very good points. I would also say a lot of reserving inventory while in transit and sub-assembly processes very much go to a conversation that, that we actually had with Sam last week about scheduling, right? Like, I don't think that you can successfully do any of that without understanding what the schedule looks like as you're going through these processes and understanding what a reliable lead time, if you will, of when things are supposed to come in and things that go in and out for sub-assembly and, and sub-process component. And, and in order to be successful, that needs to be part of the larger conversation. But but I will I will let you guys continue to uh, to talk, uh, Boo. Yeah, I mean, I was saying, I mean, in transit, generally, I would assume Suresh is referring to the incoming inventory, what uh, Dave referred at the end. Um, I mean, you have available promise, but some systems will also allow you to, you know, uh, if you're doing a sales order and you want to reserve it, you can issue and lock a purchase order against the sales order, for example, or you can issue a purchase order and lock it to a work order, for example, in your manufacturing environment. Uh, that would be one way to do it. It's harder to do it after the fact. Um, and again, there may be some systems out there that, that may allow you to do it, but if you have not locked it in the initial front-end process, then it's hard to know, you know, spe uh, what kind of you know, lots or those kind of things are uh, before you can lock in the pocket. Okay. Any other insights, uh, Tom? Uh, would you like to touch this question or any other questions? Um, well, again, the the um, the point about in transit, I think, uh, as Dave and Dave and Abu, I mean, all all of us have said, uh, I think has to do with incoming and you know, yeah, we we talked a little bit about ATP and how it can handle that based on scheduled dates for goods to arrive that aren't in inventory. Um, but um, one one of the things that I think is uh, also valuable to keep in mind is the dynamic nature of all of this. Um, when we're talking about allocation, or, um, it sounds like, well, that's locked. And people have used the word locked uh, a couple of times in, in the hour we've spent here. Um, but orders get canceled and uh, inventory gets written off uh, and lost in cycle counts. We discover, oh, it's not there. Um, or we discover that there's more there than we realize. Um, purchase orders get canceled or they get increased. Uh, they become late and past due. So there's all kinds of changes happening in terms of the supply and the demand. Um, and uh, so when when I think of uh, allocation processes, 
I think of it not necessarily as a one time and it's, it's the decision's been made, but that this is an ongoing decision. And it is at a minimum, you know, something that you're going to be revisiting in a fairly fast changing business on a daily basis, if not uh, multiple times a day, if not, you know, completely dynamically. Um, but, uh, but the reallocation, you know, I talked about my extreme example of, of reallocation, disassembling things, but even in more conventional uh, scenarios, right, with, with orders, customers canceling orders, suddenly someone in the back of the queue should get a new available to promise date because inventory has freed up and you can meet the commitment sooner. Um, you can allocate inventory that's in stock rather than relying on a purchase order that's weeks away. Um, and you can send an acknowledgement to the customer that that it's suddenly more available and vice versa. Um, if, you know, we have this scenario where uh, somebody from uh, that big customer uh, calls the CEO of your company and says, I really need X. And uh, that's a higher priority than all the other customer orders that are already in the queue. Um, well, when that order is prioritized and it grabs the inventory that's available. All the other customers that were ahead of that order in the queue, but now are behind it, um, are going to have to have the ATP process run again and new promise dates or commitment dates, new allocations uh, decided and then communicated to the customer. So this is an ongoing process of reconfirming maybe hopefully most of the time just reconfirming without sending communications out to customers constantly, um, but reconfirming that, yes, what I thought yesterday and the day before is still true. But oftentimes, you know, there will be a lot of movement on the edges and maybe beyond the edges that needs to be. Handled. So I, I think of it as an ongoing daily, minimum daily cycle of re recommitting, reallocating, uh, rerunning ATP. Amazing insights there. So the only thing we can take right now is going to be any closing comments that you wanted to cover that uh, you felt that Sam never asked the question that you wanted him to ask. So this is your opportunity uh, to address that or any sort of closing advice. Dave Griffith, I'll start with you. Dave Griffith, are you still with us? You have a little leg oh, there, I can see. Yep, yeah. sorry, sorry. <clears throat> sorry about that, Sam. There was just the, the slightest yeah. bit of lag. Yeah. Um, I think we did a really good job covering this kind of as a bit of a recap on my side is you need systems that people trust the data. If you are going to be successful in, in well, any part of this, but certainly in inventory allocation, inventory allocation means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. You need to decide what it means for your organization and pick a path to move forward or maybe don't pick a path to move forward. And then, as we've kind of all discussed, all heck breaks loose when you get to the floor and when people actually start touching physical products. So people and processes are going to be more important down there than any bit of technology. If you're missing the people and process, you will not be able to succeed. Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. So, Abu, I'm actually going to come to you. Any closing comments, advice? I mean, I would say, uh, you know, depending on industry size, design and allocation process, which would fit 70 to 80 percent of your needs. Some people define really stringent processes and then they're breaking it every second day, right? And then becomes a huge mess. So, again, you know, identify what will serve your 70, 80 percent of your market efficient and effectively, and then, you know, keep the flexibility as well in place for those uh, strange things that happen out there. Okay, love it. Thank you so much, Abu, for that. Uh, Dave uh, Chrysler, closing comments, closing advice. 
Yeah, thanks, Sam. Uh, kind of like, you know, Dave and Abu both said, but, you know, for me, it's it's start with the end in mind. What are we trying to do to understand how do we back into the processes that make sense uh, to do this? And, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where the allocated inventory doesn't seem to ever uh, be correct, uh, back to something I wanted to tease Tom about what he said, you know, uh, physical inventory and perpetual inventory, uh, maybe they don't match. I've never seen that in my time, but you know, the whole point is right. I've heard about it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) But you know, the whole point is you've got to check all of those kind of hidden places, right? Open work orders, open sales orders, open purchase orders, uh, partial completions that, that haven't closed out correctly. All of those things impact what we're talking about. Again, uh, gets down to the processes that you've got with it. Thanks. Yeah, so uh, since Dave was not respecting my sticker with bold uh, red letter, I'm actually going to put a real lock and then I'm going to see how you are going to find my inventory. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Tom, uh, coming to you for your closing comments and advice, please. Uh, again, I go back to the first thing I said, really, uh, and I think it's in alignment with everything that the whole group has said, really. there There's a uh, an optimization that you're trying to achieve. Uh, and, it, and it goes back to your industry and the behaviors of customers and suppliers and, and what your objectives are. So if you can think through those things, what, what do you need to do to succeed in your business? Is it meet as many customer commitments as possible? Is it really watch the financials incredibly closely because the orders will come and it, that's not really the issue. There's lots of demand. The challenge is financial management uh, and um and maybe tight margins and so on. Um, so I think you have to understand your industry, your business model, uh, and then you can set policies and strategies for allocation that that will optimize or meet your objective. Insight there. So that's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. So make sure you guys are going to be here. Next week, we are going to come back with another topic. Uh, on that note, thanks everyone for your time and insights tonight. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everybody. Take care. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to the Chrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about Dave Griffith, head over to Dave-Griffith.com. It's D-A-V-E hyphen G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H dot com. If you want to learn more about Abu Asif, head over to pennymanagement.com. It's P-A-N-N-I-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T dot com. If you want to learn more about Tom Rodden, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jeff Lem, who shares his insights on optimizing doc-to-stock ratio of a warehouse. Also, the interview with Andrew Johnson, who discusses the evolution of RFID tags and how RFID technology is no longer limited to tracking high-value assets. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode 
of the WBS. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.